Rashad Penny has been one of the most explosive running backs in the NFL when healthy. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened very often, and he's set to hit free agency after his latest injury. Should the Seahawks bring him back for one more go, Bob Rang and I are going to be discussing on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Glad, as always, to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Iowa, Texas, or nearby Marysville. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to kick off a new series here with the offseason now in full throttle. Transaction Tuesday, we'll be looking at a key topic on the roster with input coming from fans really looking forward to our first one with defensive tackles today on the show and we'll also be continuing our end of season report card with the tight end group this episode is brought to you by nissan the only thing more exciting than the big game is the all-new all-electric 2023 nissan aria there's only x days left until the super bowl are you ready the nissan aria the electric vehicle for people who love to drive learn more at nissan usa Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks will head into free agency with 23 players scheduled to be unrestricted free agents. And Rob, believe it or not, even though the Super Bowl still is coming up this Sunday, we barely have over a month until free agency begins on March 15th. It is going to get here very quickly once the big game ends on Sunday in Phoenix. And the Seahawks have a lot of questions to answer. They did already extend Jason Myers to knock out one of their big questions going into free agency. But one of the other really talented players is going to be in much different stances than last March is Rashad Penny. As we have talked about time and time again, end of last season, one of the best six-game stretches you will see from a running back. The Seahawks rewarded him with a one-year prove-it deal worth almost $6 million, and then unfortunately, after a great start, got injured again after five games, missed the final 12 regular season games, as well as their playoff loss to the 49ers. That has really been the tale of Rashad Penny's career to this point. Incredibly talented. He's been explosive when he's been able to play, but he has spent so much time on the sideline and on injured reserve that he hasn't been able to stack up statistically against other great running backs in the league. And that creates a question. You gave him a little bit of a lifeline last year after all those injuries because he finished the season well. Different circumstances this time around. He's only 27, though. Do you bring him back into the fold to compliment Ken Walker the third in 2023? It's such a simple question you're asking there, Corbin, but it's such a difficult answer because as you just kind of explained a little bit, I mean, Rashad Penny is not just a good player. He's a great player when he's on the field. The numbers bear that out. I mean, his ability to turn a minimal gain into a touchdown of 60, 70 yards is just about beyond compare in today's NFL. And the the Seahawks have another dynamic running back, of course, in Ken Walker III. And you'd love to have that one-two punch. But at the same time, as those of you who are able to watch this on YouTube, and thank you for all of our viewers and listeners always. But, you know, Rashad Penny has missed 40 
40 regular game, regular season games since he's been drafted by the Seahawks, including, of course, 12 just this past year. He, he suffered multiple significant injuries. A torn ACL, a broken fibula this past season is the the, 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 the latest injury that which he has to come back from. As we've talked about already in our pre-draft kind of buildup, this is a pretty good running back class. And the Seahawks with 10 draft picks, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities that they might say, hey, the best player on our board is a running back. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Seahawks decide to kind of punt this decision until after the draft and to see who they might be able to get in the draft before they make Rashad Penny any type of a priority. Now, maybe some other NFL team is going to make Rashad Penny a priority at that point, because again, what he is able to bring to the team when he's on the field is undeniable. But at the same time, because of the durability questions, because this is a good running back class, because the Seahawks are a little bit strapped against the, the, the salary cap, that I, I do think that this is going to be a difficult decision for them. I can tell you this. I, I think from their heart, they want to bring Rashad Penny back. But at the same time, I also think from their pocketbook, there just may not be room anymore. Well, and I think that's really the most interesting part of this is after another injury, I just don't expect any other teams to be rushing to the front of the line to sign him. And so I don't think you're going to have to pay a lot to bring him back, at least in guarantees. Now, could you do an incentive laden contract? Absolutely. You know, if he gets to 800 rushing yards or a thousand rushing yards somehow, you can have incentives in the contract so that he can make some significant money, but you're not going to give him a bunch of money up front. And I don't think any NFL team is going to be doing that with that laundry list of injuries. The reason why I think that the Seahawks, as long as the price is right, which I don't know why it wouldn't be, I don't see why this couldn't be a one and a half or $2 million at most one year deal with more on top of that being incentives. If you can get him at that price point, I don't know that you're going to be able to get a running back unless you're going to be drafting Bajan Robinson in the first round, as we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show and that crazy scenario. But I don't know that there is a running back in this class that's 235 pounds that can hit home runs like he can. And he's going to be fairly inexpensive. And I just look at the stats, 16 runs of 20 or more yards in the last two years. That's the third most in the NFL. And oh, by the way, the two guys in front of him, Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor, they've done that on over 500 carries. He's done it on 176 on well below half of the other two guys' carries. I mean, he is the most explosive running back in the NFL when you look at statistics and you watch the film. The guy can hit a home run anytime he touches the football. And the injuries, it's so unfortunate. But I actually would be leaning towards this being a 75-25 proposition that he's back just because I don't think that the price – is going to be something that's going to curb the Seahawks from making this move. And it also doesn't stop you from drafting a running back. And I think this is the other thing to note here. Maybe this is why the Seahawks wouldn't re-sign him. He hasn't played a special team snap in three full seasons. He's not a special teams guy, which backup running backs typically have special teams value, like DJ Dallas, Travis Homer. And we know the injury history. And he regressed some in pass protection in his limited snaps last year. He's never been great in that area. He hasn't been used much as a receiver. So he's probably not a third down back. So do you have a place in the roster for Ken Walker the third and him both being guys? I mean, maybe Walker can be that third down, all three down guy. 
he's not going to be playing special teams either. So that actually might either stop the Seahawks from signing or that may make it that they want to dra uh, draft a guy and sign him. I don't think it would curb them from doing so with Travis Homer also being a free agent. And so I do think that this is going to be one of the more intriguing decisions they have to make, but I don't expect the money to be an issue. And if they're able to bring him back at one and a half million or so, then I'm doing it in a heartbeat because I know how big time vitality is when he's healthy. Yeah. If you can give for that type of price, then I think that that is a absolutely a consideration. And I do think again, it would be a gamble if Seattle was going to wait until after the draft. And if Rashad Penny is not been signed, then yeah, I think that you might, you very likely would be able to get that type of a deal because clearly there hasn't been a lot of NFL teams out there who have been willing to throw him much money. And again, I don't expect that either. I do think that there is a chance that Rashad Penny is back for CX. I would love to see that because again, he's a spectacular player and I'm kind of rooting for the young man, I'm rooting for every young man out there to achieve their dreams, obviously, but also one who has struggled with the injuries that Rashad Penny has. But I love the fact that you just mentioned the special teams element of this. I think that if you believe in Rashad Penny and John Shire, Pete Carroll, obviously they're keeping tabs on him. They, they know what's going on in his recovery. There have been this talk. Rashad Penny had said, oh, maybe he might be able to contribute hit the Seahawks being able to get a little bit deeper into the playoffs. You know, Pete Carroll, the always optimistic Pete Carroll, still even kind of poo-pooed that. Um, but I think the Seahawks know better than just about anybody how Rashad Penny is progressing. If they feel confident enough that they want to bring him back, they know they want to bring him back. They make that offer that you just mentioned before, Corbin, million and a half. Maybe it's two. Maybe it's three. Definitely lower than what it was a year ago because he had another injury. But still, make that offer now. You're basically saying bye-bye to Travis Homer, which is a whole other conversation that we'll have at some point. Um, but you're waving goodbye to him. And you're basically saying, okay, DJ Dallas, you're going to be our special teams back. You're going to be our third down back. Maybe we will pursue another running running back in the draft. But if we do, it's very much going to be in the late day three, perhaps even undrafted free agency portion of the draft class. You're basically just checking off the box at the running back position. And I think that that feels good. It sounds good. It's just not reality. Ken Walker the third is Last year, as a rookie for the Seahawks, he struggled a little bit with durability, enough to make you a little bit nervous. And we know Rashad Penny struggled with durability at the running back position. We know the way that Seattle goes through running backs, the way that a lot of people, you know, go through deodorant packages or something. I mean, so that's the thing is that you just know that this is a position that just gets churned out. And again, I come back to the fact that this draft class is as good as it is. I think this is going to be a fascinating decision by the Seahawks. And I think it all comes down to what John Schneider and Pete Carroll feel about Rashad Penny and his likelihood to be able to stay healthy moving forward. I don't know how they can feel any kind of confidence with that. So you said 75-25. I'm leaning more 50-50 at this point. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Seattle ends up doing in this front with running backs. And I think it might be a future transaction Tuesday here in the next couple of yeah. weeks. But we're going to kick off that series up next on the defensive side of the football, getting some fan input on what the Seahawks should do at defensive tackle and abundance of questions from an experienced group that, quite frankly, did not meet their own high expectations this past season. We're going to be checking out four players and two, two of them May be back, two may not. Who fans think the Seahawks should bring back? It's going to be our first installment of Transaction Tuesday. That's coming up next here on Locked on Seahawks. 
This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. With the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, I like A.J. Brown to snag a touchdown against the Chiefs. That might not seem like a bold leap given how good of a player A.J. Brown is, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play. Daily Fantasy, you put those entries to the test, pick two to six players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Price Picks offers projections in any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, PGA, even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com. To sign up to play Daily Fantasy Sports, first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime. Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time for a new series. We had Tell the Truth Tuesday throughout the regular season, and maybe that'll come back next regular season. Maybe we'll have something new, but with it being the off season, and there's going to be a lot of transactions in coming weeks from the Seahawks with so many pending free agents, cap space potentially to work with, Maybe some players on their team getting releases, cap casualties. There's going to be a lot of moves coming up. And so we're going to be dishing out Transaction Tuesday. And Rob, you and I have both been really excited about this because it's a chance to get some input from our fans while also having a chance to weigh in on various topics with the Seahawks roster. We are going to start at maybe the position group that the Seahawks have the most question marks going into this offseason, and that's defensive tackle. This was a group going into 2022, even with the new scheme, it was the most experienced group on the entire roster with Shelby Harris, Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson, Puna Ford, LJ Collier coming back. They still had some hope there. This was an experienced season group that was supposed to be a strength for this football team. And quite frankly, they did not meet their own lofty standards this year. Inconsistent play from start to finish. There were flashes of brilliance. And then there were also 300-yard games given up to Josh Jacobs, for example, of the Raiders, where the defensive line as a whole played a big part in those struggles. The scheme fit wasn't necessarily a good one for a lot of these players. And so there are a lot of questions. And for our first transaction Tuesday, this is the question that we kicked out to our listeners for defensive tackles that are either under contract or set to become free agents that played the most snaps this year. You can only keep two of them in 2023. Puna Ford and Quentin Jefferson, A and B on our list. And then Shelby Harris, now Woods, the two elder statesmen at C and D on our list. You can only keep two of the four players. And Rob, we're going to have a chance to weigh in on this, but I want to go through some of our responses from our listeners. We got over 450 responses on Twitter. Fans were extremely excited to talk about this. And I got to start with my favorite response because I'm a movie buff and I absolutely loved this one. And this was coming from Josh. And he said, we have to keep Harris and Ford. And of course, Indiana Jones making his premiere here on Locked on Seahawks. I absolutely loved the response there. That's a great one. And that's going with veteran as well as still a 27-year-old with upside in Puna Ford. That makes some sense. A few other ones real quick here. Daryl Bosacki said Puna Ford is not under contract, did not flourish in the system. Quentin Jefferson was adequate and not very expensive. 
Harris has the greatest upside, but also the highest price tag. Woods is excellent, but needs to be kept in a pitch count. I'm keeping Woods and Harris if we can extend him. That was a common theme here, Rob. You have to find a way to lower that cap hit for Shelby Harris. It's north of 12 million this year. So the Seahawks, they've got some work to do. Seahawk nerd said Puna Ford and Al Woods. Puna still has a coveted upside if they can get him in the right role. And Al Woods is such a force of nature. You've got to keep him for the packages that demand quality play from a nose tackle. Very good points made on that one as well. Jason Colton. I think this one might be the most fascinating. Keep Al Woods to mentor Siaki Ika, the Baylor nose tackle, and keep Shelby Harris to mentor Keanu Benton from Wisconsin. So not only arguing to keep those two players, but let's get the replacements in the building so that we can get a mentored and then they can take over for them the next year. And then Steve Widmeyer says, Quentin Jefferson and Shelby Harris on a reworked deal. They are just the best players moving forward. And then Zane Huffman said Puna Ford, but move him to nose tackle. And Jefferson still has the best value on passing down. So we got a wide array of responses on here, Rob, with some really well thought out responses. Yes. Where do you stand on this spectrum with four players that have had good moments in the NFL, but all of them had up and down season last year? And there may be some issues these or two so Corbin, I'm, I'm happy to give you my thoughts and i just first off wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners our viewers our, the contributors because as you just said uh we had so many responses and the analysis the creativity the harrison four was beautiful uh but but also just the 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 very good points about the idea of these veteran players and you're going to have some young players that you want to bring in and you want those veterans you're going to be able to kind of help those rookies get acclimated to the NFL. I think that's an excellent point. I, I love the idea about the fact that, you know, if, if we were just going to say all four players get the exact same salary, who has the highest upside? I like that rationale as well. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of our listeners, viewers, for your contributions. I love it. It shows just how passionate and how intelligent the Seahawks fan base is. And I get an opportunity to do interviews every now and then with some of the other fan bases out there. And again, Seattle is fortunate to have the fan base that it, that it has. Now, let's shift back to the, the, the question at hand, and, and that is the Seahawks and the defensive line. And the question that we're posing here is that Seattle has four defensive tackles, veteran defensive tackles, Puna Ford, Quentin Jefferson, uh, Shelby Harris, and Al Woods. And we asked our viewers and listeners to basically choose two of the four. So only two. Now, there's a possibility that all four wind up being retained. Of these four, the only one who is currently a free agent is Puna Ford, and he is the youngest of the bunch. Seattle found him as an undrafted free agent. There is going to be some loyalty with Pete Carroll and John Schneider to one of their guys that they found a diamond in the rough. And he has ascended to be a pretty solid football player in the NFL, obviously now going for another NFL contract. So I think that they want to bring Puna Ford back. I think, again, there's going to be some emotional heartstrings there. Like we talked about a, a segment ago with Rashad Penny at the same time, does he actually fit what you're trying to do moving forward? And that's why I am going to argue and it breaks my heart to do it. But if the Seattle is going to recommit over this offseason to the 3-4 alignment that they kind of committed to this past season, then they've got to find players that actually fit that scheme. That's why I struggle with the idea that the defensive tackles in this roster 
really had a disappointing season. I don't know that that's fair to them as individual players, considering the difficult positions that they suddenly were asked to play as kind of two gappers, being able to take on two different blockers rather than just penetrating through the gap. And I know a lot of our listeners understand this, but I still think that that's an important point to make here. I thought that Al, Al Woods was the most dominant player of this group, but he's also the oldest. And he also, you know, struggled a little bit with injuries this past season and certainly some of the seasons prior to it. Quentin Jefferson, to me, statistically, he had arguably his best season last year, but he really caught fire down the stretch. I thought if you wanted to go from game one to the very end of the season, I thought Shelby Harris was arguably your best player on the defensive line. The statistics bear that out, but obviously he's getting paid a lot. If you were just going to ask me straight out the same question that you posed to our, our that we posed to our listeners and viewers, the two best players, in my opinion, are Al Woods and Shelby Harris. The fact that both of them are upwards of 32 years old at this point. That concerns me a little bit. So if you are going to retain those two players, then I got to go back with what one of our viewers said before. Bring back those two players, but then definitely bring younger players that they can help get acclimated to the NFL. If Brian Monet was healthy, this would be an easier question for me it to would. answer. Because I would say it's time to move on from Al Woods. And it's not because I don't think Al Woods can play still. I absolutely think that he can. But I would try to save some money there. And Brian Monet, you gave that new contract to last summer. And so you're thinking that he can maybe be the guy now. You can draft somebody else that can rotate in with him, maybe compete with him for a starting job. But with Brian Monet coming back from a torn ACL and maybe missing a big chunk of next year because that injury happened late in the season, just like Jordan Brooks, Al Woods has got to be retained on this roster. And so that leaves for this question, I could easily see three or four of all four of these players back next year. Uh, I think that's unlikely, but I could see it happen. Three maybe is the sweet spot. But if I only can pick one of the other players, I just have a hard time. If, if the defensive scheme is going to stay the same, I have a hard time committing much money to Puna Ford. And it's not because I don't think he can play. I just don't think that this was a good scheme for him. And if Al Woods is going to be your nose, that's not going to be very many reps in the interior for Puna Ford. So I just, I feel like you are trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And they were trying to do that last year. And so that leaves either Shelby Harris or Quentin Jefferson. And I'm going to surprise people with this response because I think Shelby Harris is a really good player. I just don't know that they're going to be able to figure things out with that salary cap hit. He cannot be on the roster next year with a 12 plus million dollar cap hit. As good of a player as he is, he's not that good. He's not that disruptive, and he's getting to be a little older player. I got to go with Quentin Jefferson because he was one of the top 15 pass rushing defensive tackles in the NFL. He can play big end as well. So if you want to play some four-man fronts, he can line up there and, and defend the run better in that position in the interior. He's still under 30 years of age, so he's a little bit younger player. And I just thought he was one of their best defensive players the last month. It was not a small sample size. We're talking five or six games. And he is going to be fairly affordable compared to Shelby Harris. So if I have to pick two based on talent, price, and scheme, Jefferson's not necessarily a great fit in this defense in terms of being an every-down guy as a three-tech. But I saw more from him than I saw from Puna Ford, quite frankly. And I think that Al Woods has been a consistent player throughout his career. And with Brian Monet's injury, you got to have, have Al Woods on the roster. So those would be the two I would pick right now based on all those different factors, but obviously not an easy question to answer.
Well, it's not an easy question to answer. And I think that there's a scenario in which Seattle brings back all of these players. I think there's a scenario Seattle brings back none uh, of these exactly. players. Exactly. It's completely up in the air because what if they just decide, you know what, we want to get younger, we're going to blow this thing up and get a bunch of dudes that fit the scheme. Uh, you can make arguments against every single one of these players, whether it's age, whether it's scheme, whether it's positional versatility. Uh, none of these guys are, in my opinion, deadlocks to be on this football team in week one. Exactly. And that, that's why we kind of thought that this might be the perfect position to have it be our very first, uh, you know, of, of this new series, because I think it's a really good one. And I think everybody wants to talk quarterback. We get that. But the defensive tackle, I think, is the most underrated position as far as what Seattle wants to do moving forward. It really is the straw that serves the drink in a lot of ways, because whatever Seattle decides to do with this position is going to absolutely dictate what they do on drafting. Now, we all know that's going to be the case with quarterback but I don't know that there's a lot of fans out there who are thinking a defensive tackle has this type of impact on Seattle's free agent and draft plans. A special thanks again to all of our listeners weighing in on this first Transaction Tuesday. Really fun topic. A lot of interesting puzzle pieces the Seahawks are going to have to try to put together at this position in free agency and the draft. And after the draft, quite frankly, they've had success signing veteran tackles in the past in mid-May. So, We'll see what the Seahawks end up doing in this position, but a lot of different interesting responses from our valued listeners. And we're looking forward to doing this again next Tuesday with a different position group and different players. Coming up next, we're going to continue our end-of-season report card going back to the offensive side of the football with Noah Fant and the tight end group. We'll dish out grades, look at what went right, what went wrong, and much more coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. I'm actually doing a little bit better. A pat on the back, still had a pizza today. But if you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then, man, I've got the thing for you. you got to try Built. With Built Bars, healthy is actually tasty. They're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. And what makes Built Bars so good is they're covered in 100% real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like peanut butter brownie and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box shipped to you. For years, we've been talking about ordering your built bars at built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of built bars. You can pick up a four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13 bar box with their hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether this is your first time listening to Locked on Seahawks or you are a regular listener, we greatly appreciate your support. All right, end of season report card time. We are moving back to the offensive side of the football. A position that, like the defensive tackles this year, it felt like tight end had been a spot where the Seahawks for several years running had underachieved, whether it was because of injuries, whether it was because of play calling, whether it was because of the quarterback, whatever the circumstances were, the tight end group always seemed to fall short of expectations. And yet this year, 
It seemed like that trend got turned on its head and probably because the factors that we just talked about ended up shifting into the tight ends direction. They had better health. The quarterback wanted to throw to the tight ends more. The system seemed to be coordinated more for the tight ends to get involved in the passing game, at least most of the games. There was a few games where inexplicably the tight ends were not involved, but for the most part, they were heavily involved and I think this was one of the stronger position groups for the Seahawks during their surprising run to a playoff spot this year. No question about it. I mean, I, I thought that this was arguably Seattle, not even arguably. I think this was Seattle's best position on offense. And I let that kind of carry out for a second because I know there's people right now who are thinking like, well, Jesus, a wide receiver. Seattle has two superstars at running back. Again, we talked about before with Rashad Penny, statistically the most dominant back on the field when he's on the field. And obviously Ken Walker is a superstar. And the offensive line, you got some talent as well. Quarterback, you had Geno Smith. And I still think the top to bottom, Seattle's tight end group is the strongest on offense for this club. I think it's one of the strongest positional groups in all of the NFL, in all of the positional groups. I pounded the table over and over again. I thought that Seattle should focus on their tight ends because it makes them unique to have a tight end room as diverse as Noah Fant, Will Disley, and Colby Parkinson are. And hey, give a little bit of credit to some of the other tight ends that Seattle, you know, kind of raised up over, uh, you know, over the course of the season um but still i think it's a dynamic group and then again you complement that with a quarterback who is as accurate as geno smith proved to be this past season and again the running game i thought that it was kind of predictable that seattle's tight ends would blow up this year frankly i, th- I was a little disappointed i thought the seattle's tight ends would be even better specifically with noah fan and he did post some pretty impressive numbers this season corbin i mean you know he is Yards per reception dropped, and that was one of the things that disappointed me. But if you walked into this year and you said, okay, we, Seattle, made this trade for a player who is going to be able to try to, you know, make their offense a little bit more dynamic. And he comes in as basically just like a throw in to the trade that obviously sent Russell Wilson to Denver. Um, But this is a guy who led your team, at least the tight end position in receptions, receiving yards, and was right there with touchdowns as well with four. I think that you got to feel pretty good about Noah Fant and moving forward. We'll see what happens. Again, I thought that he would be a little bit more dynamic. I have some reservations about Will Disley and the injury issues we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go i love the fact that kobe parkinson it it took some time but kobe parkinson i thought made a seismic change in what he did this season for the seahawks and what we had seen previously and i think that there's every reason to believe that his career is going to continue to move forward as we talked about with the running back position previously with rashad penny this draft class is good in fact, it's more than good. This tight end class in 2023 is about as good as I've ever seen. So I would not be surprised at all if Seattle was to go back to the tight end position, just because, again, it's really, really good. You use your tight ends a lot more. Disley has struggled with injuries, and you have a couple of tight ends in Fant and Parkinson, who, again, are just kind of scratching the surface. There's going to be some other teams out there interested in paying for them. So you may not be able to keep these guys long term. So, again, I think that this is a position that Seattle has to look for in the draft, but I love what Seattle had at the tight end position in 2022. Yeah, I, I second a number of things that you said, and most notably, 
I felt disappointed statistically, but when I watched the games, I didn't feel disappointed because it seemed like these guys, all three of their main tight ends, even Tyler Mabry got a touchdown late this season. It just felt like every one of their tight ends made positive contributions on a consistent basis. And that's all you can ask for. They weren't getting that in previous seasons. Again, I don't know that I blame the players necessarily for that. Uh, there were some other issues at play that prevented the tight ends from maximizing their potential in Seattle. That did not happen this season. And so I think you and I are in agreement. This group gets a B plus because they weren't necessarily perfect, but they were a very sound group from top to bottom of the depth chart. And it feels like there's still some untapped uh, upside with this group, especially if they can keep everybody healthy. Now, looking at what went right, as I, you know, I surprise maybe combined for 1400 or 1500 receiving yards it was just a little bit over 1100 they did score 10 touchdowns collectively as a group including getting that one late in the season from Tyler Mabry and so there were certainly some really nice things done in the passing game from all three of the Seahawks main tight ends I thought Will Disley was a capable short to intermediate receiver. I thought Colby Parkinson showed off his speed at six foot seven, stretching the field. No Fant, second half of the season, especially you started to see his ability to make plays with the football in his hands after the catch. That was a struggle early on, getting him in positions where he could use his athleticism. He was getting a lot of catches and then dropped to the ground. He started to create yak in the second part of the season. But really the thing that I think stood out the most from a positive standpoint Colby Parkinson and Noah Fant were not known for their blocking coming out of college. Colby Parkinson was a wide receiver when he went to Stanford. He's now almost 270 pounds, and he has become a legitimate all-around blocking tight end. And this is what surprised me, Rob. Of the tight ends that had 215 or more run blocking attempts this year, he graded out as the seventh best out of more than 40 tight ends in the NFL by Pro Football Focus. Again, their PFF grades, they're not – you shouldn't be viewing them as the Messiah necessarily, but that still really was impressive. And it matches what I saw on tape. He had some really good blocks in the run game, particularly in the second half of the season. And Noah Fant, his run blocking grade wasn't good, but you watch the film and I saw a guy that was getting after it, something he didn't do very much early in his career in Denver. So you could see a change in mentality and really felt like all three of these tight ends could move all over the formation for the Seahawks. And it gave them incredible formational flexibility. And that really helped transform this offense that was not supposed to be very good into a top 10 scoring unit. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and I, I love the fact that you really highlight Kobe Parkinson, no offense, ascent as blockers. That to me was very much uh, unexpected. And, and I think a, a huge factor in Seattle exceeding expectations this season in terms of wins and losses, because again, it just made their, their offense so dynamic and their offense that much better in the running game. And, you know, you, you just look at the standings and I will point out the teams that run the ball consistently and they are always at the top of the standings and again tight ends who can block play a real key in that I, I I love the fact again that you kind of mentioned about Noah Fant and the struggles with the yards after catch that to me is one of the real concerns I have moving forward with him and as I mentioned before he led the Seahawks tight ends in receiving and receptions and receiving yards and and touchdowns 
he only had four touchdown receptions. So I do think that he still has a great deal of upside to go. But I will say this, DK Metcalf only had six touchdowns, and everybody in the NFL knows who DK Metcalf is. So that just kind of shows you how close it was. And, and I believe the upside that is still out there for Noah Fant specifically to be able to continue to ascend. And Kobe Parkinson, again, specifically, I'd like to see him continue to get bigger and stronger. I'm not so sure that his parents would even recognize him at this point. because you said, he was a wide receiver when he joined Stanford and now becoming the monster that he's become. Just kudos to him. There's an awful lot of NFL players out there that get those paychecks and they don't go to the locker or the weight room anymore. They're going somewhere else and using that money. So kudos to Kobe Parkinson. The Seahawks said when they drafted him, that that was their goal is they wanted to build this guy into a full service tight end. I think that was their actual quote from Schneider. And that's exactly what he has become for them. It's taken a couple of years. But that's the nature of the NFL when you're using middle-round prospects on players. So I, I just really love what he has done for the club. Now, to me, the conversation is about Will Disley. Uh, he's known as w Uncle Will for crying out loud. I mean, talk about a guy who was very much in Seattle's, uh, you know, just in their back pocket as far as the guys who are the locker room leaders and things like that. We, we had the conversation a couple of moments ago about defensive linemen that Seattle may want to bring back just to kind of mentor the young players. Uncle Will is that type of a guy, even though he's still a relatively young player. He just has that type of mentality. So I have a hard time imagining a scenario in which Seattle doesn't bring Will Disley back, but still, I don't know that you can rely on him as much when, frankly, the two better, younger players are still on your roster, you know, or maybe you have to consider trying to find some guys in the draft. Again, this class is that good that you have to consider that option as well. But to me, Disley is the one that you have to make a decision about. Especially considering we don't know what's going on with him on the injury front. He had a very bizarre fracture in the upper part of his ankle into his knee at the end of the season that landed him on injury reserve. And last time that Pete Carroll talked to the media, he still wasn't sure if Will Disley was going to need surgery down the road. And we know that he's ended the season on injury reserve in three of his six NFL seasons. So even though he's been much healthier, healthier the last three seasons, he still has had injuries and he's getting to be not an old player, but he's certainly getting to be a little bit older player, getting closer to being 30. So they're going to have some decisions to make on that front. And I'm glad he brought this up earlier because I've picked a tight end in both my mock drafts so far, and there have been a few fans wondering, well, with the tight ends we have, why would you pick one? Well, no fan, Colby Parkinson, both have one year left in their contracts, and they're young players with upside. As you mentioned, they hit free agency. Teams might throw significant money that the Seahawks don't have or don't want to pay for those tight ends. And Will Disley is due a ton of money the next two years, and not a lot of it is guaranteed. So he could easily be put on the chopping block if he still has injury issues or quite frankly, doesn't perform up to the money that he's getting paid. And so you've got question marks at this position long-term and, and really you could consider it short-term in 2024, you could be missing two of these three tight ends, maybe even all three of them. So with how good this tight end draft class is, I think the Seahawks absolutely need to take advantage of it. And I'm not arguing to draft Michael Mayer in the first round, though I wouldn't be upset if they did that at pick number 20, because I think Michael Mayer is a fantastic talent, but my point is, this is a deep tight end class. Take advantage of that. you got to be looking beyond just the current season when you're looking at the draft. And obviously, you want to fill instant needs. But you also got to be looking, okay, 2024, we could have two or three of these tight ends out the door. We need some guys that can come in. I could see them drafting two tight ends 
if they have more than 10 picks. They have 10 right now. If they end up with 11 or 12 picks, John Schneider might pick two of them, and I would not be you know, frustrated by that at all. It would make a lot of sense to me from a roster-building standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Uh, two might be a touch rich for me because, again, I, th- I don't think that you want to bring four tight ends. And, and if you're going to draft two, you're assuming you're going to have at least two of these guys, maybe even all three. But if it's a seventh rounder, that guy's probably maybe a practice squad guy. Why that's not? Ex- excellent point. And again, this draft class is so good to your point, Corbin, that I think that you have to consider it. what you don't want. I would much rather Seattle draft whoever the heck they want with their 10 picks or 20 picks, whatever they got draft who you think are good players this year. You don't want to be at this time next year, looking back on the 2023 tight end class, 2023 running back class, 2023 center class, and not have taken advantage of the unique depth that this year's draft class has provided. In my opinion, where Seattle has screwed up in drafts in the past is where they've gotten a little bit too cute and not recognize the unique talent of that particular draft class and the unique holes on their roster and where they hit it out of the park was this past year where they did recognize the unique talent. It was a spectacular tackle class and they nailed it with two of the better ones, the two of the more pro-ready ones that fit their scheme. And obviously the success speaks for itself. So to me, that's really why this tight end conversation. And I I love that you said that you took tight ends in each of your past mock drafts. Because I think that's a very savvy move on your part. The NFL stands for some, not for long. And this just proves that to be true. Yeah, there really is a balancing act because you want to pick the best players that are going to have an impact for you immediately and have the most upside. That's your goal in the draft. At the same time, you also got to look at what are the strengths of the draft class. And I thought the Seahawks did as good of a job with that last year as they have done throughout the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era. And you'd like to see them do that again this year with numerous position groups that really stand out, including the tight end group. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we'll continue our end-of-season report card. We'll go back to the defensive side of the football with edge defenders. You can call them outside linebackers in Seattle scheme as well, and much more. We hope you'll be listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.